When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. what you mean by conversion. Uh, for some people, that indicates a certain amount of pressure or um, what is known as badgering of people. We don't, that is not our approach in anything at all. The Legion now knows through these 50 years of experience that it's due to its firmness of purpose and its refusal to water down principles that it is where it is, that it's withstood in a great measure the threat and turbulence, for example, in the church. In talking uh, over the tea, we, some of the girls suggested, why could we not do that work also? So Mr. Duff was told, and he just jumped at it. Mm-hmm. He was those zealous. And he said, well, we can't discuss that now. We'll have to have another evening to discuss it. I realized that uh, if I want to do something for anybody, I, I know that I couldn't do them a better job than being to be for men. I definitely feel that the finger of God has touched the Legion of Mary. They're not a martyr for the cause, but actually enjoy it. It demands a certain amount of sacrifice, but when you give a little like that, I mean, what you receive back is a hundredfold. It's really, it has really given me so much. I mean, I felt it, in fact, when I was touring Europe and practically the whole month I could not get in touch with any legion, actually, even a presidio meeting and all this. And I felt so lonely. All I could do was to set up two or three in the university again in the parish and move on. Now, if the legion is what it should be, it must spread. of the foundation of the Legion of Mary is a cause of joy, not only to Dublin, its place of origin, but also to Ireland and even to the Catholic world. These were the words written by the Irish hierarchy in a letter to Mr. Frank Duff to congratulate him on the anniversary of an organization which he founded 50 years ago today. Many people will share in Mr. Duff's joy, 
but to many others this is just another celebration and no particular concern of theirs. This indifference for their fellow men has not stopped the Legionaries, however, in their extraordinary work, a work which is carried on in many cases in the simplest way, but with the most far-reaching results. To those who care to look at the Legion as it is from the inside comes the realisation that everything about it is uncomplicated, whether working with it, being helped by it, and even joining it to become world president, as Mr Cummins did. It's nearly 40 years ago since I became a legionary, and when I came, I was just brought along by a friend. Um, he asked, he told me he was a legionary. I didn't understand much about it then, or I didn't grasp much of what he was trying to tell me. But he did say to me, the same as I've often said to others, come along and see for yourself. And I went along, and uh, the first thing impressed me was to find a priest and a number of men kneeling round our ordinary, our legion altar in a room such as we have for most of our meetings, on their knees saying the rosary. I should of course been in the room before the prayers began, but my friend was slightly delayed and we just got in as shortly after the meeting started. I was, I was captivated immediately by the atmosphere and certainly by the, the, the altar which represented immediately to me a sort of presence of our Blessed Lady. From my boyhood I had been taught by my parents, my teachers and priests to have a, a, a devotion to our Blessed Lady. But, and I, I suppose I tried to do it in my own tin pot way as well as I could. But this for me seemed to be a new mm -hmm. approach, something that certainly evinced from me more than I had previously given. There's an ancient Chinese proverb which says that a journey of a thousand leagues begins with a single step. And now it can be said that that journey of a thousand leagues has indeed brought the legion into the depths of ancient China. The story of the legion's birth and growth in China and how well the mission was accomplished there is best known to Father Aidan McGrath, the Columban father who has given up so much of his life to the resistance of the communist Goliath. Well, I went to China in 1930. Uh, I'm a native of Dublin, and I left Dublin not knowing anything about the legion, never heard of it. And I was sent up to a very small parish, about 700 miles in from Shanghai, without a church or without a house, and uh, very soon I realized I needed something, people to help me, and I started my own, uh, if you like, Catholic action, and let's call it Father McGrath's folly, because folly it was. Mm -hmm. It lacked everything that the Legion of Mary now In what sense? Has. Well, not enough prayer, uh, not enough detailed rules, not enough training, and no specific work, so that it became chaotic, like so many. However... Um, my bishop wanted me to start the Legion of Mary, Bishop Galvin, God rest him. I never knew anything about it. I didn't think it would work because mine had failed. My thing had failed. Yes. And this miraculously worked. Uh, I had six groups in my little village when 4,000 Japanese soldiers walked into the town in 1938. Before the Japanese War, I was the only one to protect the women and children, and I was busy protecting them when my six groups 
brought me in about 700 wonderful Catholics. They did everything, selected them, chose them, taught them, and so on. And that opened my eyes to the fact that this was something marvelous. I was expelled then by the Japanese. They wanted to get rid of me anyway. I was two and a half years away from that parish. That parish without church, without rectory, without teachers, without sisters, without priests. And I decided because I was not there, that was the end of it. And of course, I, I pined away really, worrying about the place. And when I was allowed back in 1944, when uh, De Valera actually kept Churchill out of the ports, they decided I was neutral and they let me back. And to my amazement and certain embarrassment when I got back to the town, I found the parish was running smoothly without me. That's right. They decided what every child knows today, that they were the church. And I was shattered by it. And of course, at that moment, I decided no priest can possibly be without an organization such as this. And I was sick and I went home for furlough. And while I was home, Archbishop Ribéry, who had met Edel Quinn in Africa, uh, was changed to China. 1948 when he got there, it was only one year before the communists would take over. He knew very well every priest, brother and sister would be put out. And he said, we need something that would develop people like Edel Quinn. Mm -hmm. And that thing was the Legion. He looked around for it, couldn't find it, except for my six groups. And he asked, he got me released from my parish and my, uh, my other work and asked me to start in the universities of China, the famous Aurora University with the Madames of the Sacred Heart, looking after the women, then up to Autitude in Tianjin, where the Jesuits had the university there, and the SVD in Peking, the Furin University, which is now in Formosa. Mm-hmm. And uh, believe it or not, in one year, we had 1,000 presidia, mostly students. Really? Young yeah. students, superb. Yeah. In two years, we had 2,000 groups, and you're not surprised that when the communists eventually caught up with me and everybody else, and. Uh, they found that putting out the priests and sisters did not solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Closing the churches and schools didn't solve the problem. That the problem was solved by the natives themselves who were keeping the church alive. Could I, just before you go and ask yes. you there, you said we had 1,000 mm-hmm. and then you had 2,000. Mm-hmm. Now that's very easily said. How on earth did you go about getting the one? Th- well, the one of course, thousand? I didn't. No, I, all I could do was to set up two or three in the university, again in the parish, and move on. Now, if the Legion is what it should be, it must spread. And that's what it did. And to my amazement, when I came back after one year, they caught up with me in Chongqing, you see. I kept ahead of them all the time, hopping and flying over them. And then when I couldn't go anymore, I I stopped and I waited for them. Thought they would arrest me. They didn't. They allowed me back to Shanghai. And as I say, to my amazement, once again, I found that the Legion had developed itself. What sort of work did you do? everything conceivable that the priests and sisters would have done if they'd been there. And at this time, they were going into prison and being expelled and so on. The ordinary parish work, as you know, looking after the sick and the poor and uh, keeping the children instructed and so on and getting the people to say their prayers if there were no masses, well, to carry on, keeping their faith and so on. Um, And doing even the social work, like helping the dropouts and so on, Mm -hmm. to keep uh, people... Uh, to be good with good civic spirit and so on. Mm. But the communists didn't like this. They don't like that individuals do that. They want to say the state does this, you see. And therefore, putting out the priests and sisters didn't solve their problem. And they suddenly discovered that the Legion of Mary was what they called the public enemy number one. 
reading. Now, how did yeah. they set about capturing the enemy? Well, they tried to use it first. They thought that they could control it and frighten it and use it as a spearhead to develop the native church, what they call the independent church, national church, independent of Rome and so on. But of course that failed, failed three times. And they were furious. The legionaries just wouldn't give in on it, you see. Priests and legionaries were working together and so far as they could. Um, then eventually they, uh, it was proscribed. We weren't even allowed to sing the legion hymn or anything else, you know, it was quite a joke, the whole thing. Weren't afraid of soldiers, weren't afraid of anyone else, afraid of the natives who had something within them, a courage and a faith, and uh, was determined even to go to prison for it. considerable had the most humble beginnings. It was not a thought-out organization. It sprang up spontaneously. There was no premeditation in regard to rules and practices. A suggestion was simply thrown out, an evening was fixed, and a little group came together, unaware that they were to be the instruments of providence. Among that group was Sister Jenna Galgani, who is now with the Sisters of Cross and Passion and resident in Chile. Well, the first thing was I met Mr. Duff. I went up to the Myra Hall to join the pioneers, to get the pioneer pin. And after a little talk with Mr. Duff about the pioneers, I, I got the pin. And then later, he asked me to come to the council meeting of the pioneers, which took place once a month. And at that pioneer meeting, the men, it was very interesting. The men spoke about their work. They had been visiting the Dublin, the Union, as it was then, and the work giving tobacco and papers to the old people, and I, I thought it was very interesting. So usually after these meetings, we used to get a cup of tea for the members, mm. we girls, and in talking uh, over the tea, we, some of the girls suggested, why could we not do that work also? So Mr. Duff was told, and he just jumped at it. Mm -hmm. He was so zealous. And he said, well, we can't discuss that now. We'll have to have another evening to discuss it. Mm. And it happened to be, that was on a Sunday, and it was on a Wednesday that we fixed in the same room where the St. Vincent de Paul hold their meetings, that we fixed the meeting. But I don't know how it was, but one of the girls though it wasn't planned when we arrived in the table was there with a cloth and a lady statue and two candles and two bars of flowers and they all sat around the table and the rosary we said the rosary prayer to the holy ghost and then we there we discussed what we would do yes, and that was the first meeting and that was the first meeting and then we got we were sent off on tours then particularly the the Union Hospital, when it did start, it was called the Little Association of Our Lady of Mercy. Do you remember what the atmosphere generally was to the Legion when it started, say, after about six months? Can you remember what the church attitude to it was and what the general attitude of the people was? Well, everybody was very interested because it got so, each member 
about somebody else, and the gossip leaves would have to be to divide it. Mm. And uh, I think they went to the north side of the city then for another mm -hmm. meeting. Was there ever a sense of excitement that it was turning into a no, 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 no. Never thought it was going to be what it was. No. <laughs> no. So you're really rather surprised today, yeah. 50 years later. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I was really surprised some years later when I heard the name Legion of Mary. I was a nun then. And I just happened in a retreat house to hear them talking about Legion of Mary. Mm -hmm. Because I, they had stopped writing to me and I didn't know how it was progressing. Mm. And I asked, what was that? The Legion of Mary, seemed, the name seemed to appeal to me. Oh, they said that's uh, an association started by a holy man in Dublin. The holy man in Dublin spoken of by Sister Gemma Galgani is, of course, Mr. Frank Duff whose quiet dynamism was responsible for the special spirit which belongs to the Legion of Mary alone. There are many reasons why people join an organization, but when speaking of the Legion of Mary, the reasons are always the most simple, as we see with Dr. Lono Brin, a member for many years, and the first editor of Maria Legionis. I remember the occasion, actually, when I decided to become a legionary. I was adjudicating at a, a, a drama festival uh, organized by the Legion, I was uh, walking alongside a, a, a very distinguished uh, drama critic of that time, Larry Bourne, better known as Andrew E. Malone. And uh, we were sitting up in the Morning Star, in the little theatre of the Morning Star, looking at the play, and there was a legionary on duty on the door, and I saw a very tough woman coming in from the Sancta Maria, barging right in and smacking the chair in the, in the face for refusing her admission in the middle of an act. And uh, I pondered over this afterwards, and I said, you know, there's something here. If this young girl, who could have been having a good time downtown, was prepared to stand at the door and take that sort of punishment in the interests of the down and outs of Dublin, I thought, I thought that I should be doing something. And it was that, really, that prepared me for admission to the Legion of Mary. Long before the social apostolate became the in thing among modern activists, the legionaries who found their inspiration at a deeper source had discovered the true significance of the cup of water given in my name. Is it for this reason, perhaps, that people like Margaret Ford decide at the age of 22 to give up so much of their lives totally to legion work? You live in the DSA. I live in, yes. Why do you do this? Um, Why do you work in the DSA? Well, going back to the time before I joined the legion, I was very interested in social problems and I wanted to do something constructive and um, to me the Legion was the answer to this. Uh, I was particularly interested in um, the sort of work that's been done at Regina and so I decided to come up here and to work full time. I felt this was the way to get to know the work and I found that is the way to know the work. You know? What I'm really saying to you is why are you a Legion then? Um, because for me, as a Christian, I needed to fulfill myself. Uh, I wanted to help my neighbour in a constructive way. I'm the type of person that needs to be organised um, before I can do anything. Mm -hmm. Sort of And um, the Legion was the answer. Do you ever hesitate to tell people that you are a Legionary? Because after all, you are also human, and sometimes people can be quite upsetting in their reaction. No, I, I've never experienced any difficulty so far. Mm -hmm. Do people, what sort of things do they say? People, I mean, no, not your friends, but um, strangers, when they hear suddenly that you're a full-time member of the Legion. First, I, I think they're amazed um, 
at my age, to be a full-time member. Uh, I think it's um, very uncommon for somebody so young to give so much time. Um, but sort of when they get to know me, they, they appreciate that, you know, I want to do this and I'm not a martyr for the cause. <laughs> There are people in this world who are more than ready to criticise everything, more especially if the motivation is religious, and the Legion, of course, has its critics. One of the most severe criticisms made of the Legion is that its members intrude in the private lives of their fellow beings, but to those who care to find out, nothing could be further, further from the truth, and you only have to meet a lady like Mrs. Dale to realise the true meaning of Christian love. It's joy, I couldn't describe it, because it's a life that you've had to know. Because when I found I hadn't a mother, my mother always told me the mother of God is a sinner. And I believed her. And uh, I said to her, God bless her. She said, she's just an ordinary person, just like you and me, and sin. And I always believed her, you see? So until I used to study myself, read little books and pamphlets I used to get, in my first seat, unknown to anyone, and I was reading in a lot of books. And I was reading on a blessed, blessed lady, and it was a different term altogether. Of course, I couldn't say it at home. Also among many people today who do not know it, or for whom it is a silent rebuke to their own consciences, the Legion of Mary has been the object of cynicism and the butt of many barb jokes. And to people like Sam Hughes, these must sometimes be very hard to take. Uh, I think the, the Legion is misunderstood to the point where it is uh, regarded as something extraordinary in the religious uh, mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. And the Legion in actual fact is and has always been to me, certainly, just normal Catholicism. Mm -hmm. If you like full-blooded Catholicism, but nevertheless normal Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And uh, on that basis, the, uh, mm -hmm. the Legion, uh, the idea of looking at the Legion from a, if you like, strictly uh, saintly uh, viewpoint, it is nothing of the sort. It's composed, uh, to my mind, and I've worked with uh, men who were uh, in Presidia, branches of the Legion, mm -hmm. where the Presidium was completely composed of uh, some men from the docks, some unemployed men, mm -hmm. uh, some from uh, very uh, high intellectual positions, mm -hmm. all, under one, uh, all under one Presidium, doing exactly the same work, each contributing his own part. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, this, to my mind, is uh, one of the string, strong features that attract me to the Legion, mm -hmm. that it could attract people from all mm -hmm. intellectual levels mm -hmm. and from all walks of life, mm -hmm. and they could all be united, if you like, in one ideal. Mm -hmm. And this ideal was uh, centered on the faith, if you like, looked after by Our Lady, and uh, it wasn't an attitude of, if you like, of... of uh, 
what do I call, well, for want of a better term, holy Joeism. Yes. You know? Well, talking but about holy Joeism, people will say it, and they will say that there is an atmosphere of holy Joeism in the Legion. Do you think that the Legion we can say, do enough to get rid of this idea? Well, I think so. I think they do because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a misconception about religion. I think that's abroad. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, you will, if you, when you come into the Legion, this misconception goes out the window because you'll find people in the Legion who are in intensely practical people, yes. who have business-like approach to what they're doing, yes. uh, who are prepared to go to great lengths to do what, they, what, uh, what is required of them. Uh, in the interest of the church and Our Lady, mm-hmm. and I mean, what, what, what more is, is wanted of a person? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the Holy Joeism is a person who is a, who is basically inactive mm-hmm. and has a mis- complete misconception of the faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that point of view, it's it's just mm-hmm. not. It's well, I absolutely agree because I've met some of you now, quite a few of you, and yeah. the one thing that strikes me is the happiness and the absolute normality of everybody. I, I have seen absolutely no sign whatever of Holy Joeism. Oh, yeah. But I wonder if there's enough publicity for people outside who don't actually come in to you and look for you. If uh, you yourselves make enough effort to let people see just the great work you are doing. Well, uh, You seem to some publicity. We do, yes. And, uh, you know, in a way, greatly so. Each day brings fresh news of the Legion's growth and its penetration into new areas. Each year sees new countries added to the long list. How, for example, did Maria Sutiliza first hear about the Legion in the Philippines? Well, after my graduation from the university, a Franciscan father introduced it in our parish. Well, it's a uh, I, I find it so funny now <laughs> when I remember that because my first impression of the Legion was that it was a kind of a pious organization and just then we were preparing for a reception and ball and I had my gown hung up and um, he came and invited me and in fact when the first conference the first thing I asked my brother to ask for me I couldn't even ask myself <laughs> if legionaries were still allowed to go and such dances and such yeah. all things as those. And of course, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> and it all started that way. And there was a meeting just then. I attended the meeting. And without knowing it, the next week I was there. The following week I was there. The next week I was there. And I was trying to preside over that presidium right away. <laughs> and how much actual active work does the Legion do in the Philippines? Um, we cover a lot of uh, um, apostolic uh, program of work, but then uh, we concentrate chiefly on home visitation yes. with the different uh, purposes, mm-hmm. but especially to help the people know. Now, would, would this home visitation be to all houses of all denominations, all religions? Uh, yes, we try to cover all. We try to cover all. Yes. What about recruiting? Is it very difficult in the Philippines? Well, as of now, it's really difficult because they usually are working people and uh, most are students. But at any rate, we still do. Mm-hmm. In our home visitations, we include recruiting, of course, but yes. we usually get 
auxiliary members instead of active ones. How does the Legion in Ireland compare with the way it, it works in the Philippines? Also very different, perhaps mm -hmm. because the needs are also different. Mm -hmm. Look, in the Philippines, even if we are known to be a Catholic country, we have more lapsed Catholics, sad to say. I see, yes. So the difference in the work is really in, in the sense of the apostolic work. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, of course, we, we don't have so, so much of these club activities that, are, that I see around here. Yes. In, in what way do you mean that? This organization of clubs. For I work in a club for disabled children, retarded ones, yes. and all the. We haven't. Uh, we don't have that kind of work. What apostle apostolate to the crowds were just beginning. Yes. And then this street rescue work, which is really heroic, I say it. I, I say yes. it here. We could also do that there because we have such cases. Also. You don't do that at all in the Philippines. Not yet. Not yet. All that we do uh, is visit the bars, get in touch with the jails. Yes. What does the Legion mean to you personally? Well, if you ask me, I think I could say the Legion is my life. <laughs> in what way would you describe that further? It's, it's really, it has really given me so much. I mean, I felt it, in fact, when I was touring Europe, and practically the whole month I could not get in touch with any legion, actually, even a presidium meeting and all this. Mm. And I felt so lonely. <laughs> the legion slowly grew and spread, sinking deep roots in its home soil before venturing far afield. It has been ready to help with every form of apostolic work throughout the world, and at the 551st meeting of the concilium or governing body, which took place in Dublin on August the 15th last, Members received reports from envoys throughout the five continents, and attending that meeting was the first envoy, Mary Duffy. In the uh, early 1930s, plus 1933, uh, Miss Alice Curtain, as she was then, uh, wrote an article in the Carmen Wheel, an American magazine, in which she described the work that the Morning Star was doing for the down-and-out men of Dublin. Uh, that article was read by a prominent Catholic layman in San Francisco, Mr. Oliver. And as, Mr. as, as at that time, the United States was suffering from the effects of the uh, Depression of a few years previously, and as there was a great deal of unemployment, Mr. Oliver, Oliver was intensely interested in the welfare of the poor people, especially the down-and-out men of his own city. And when he read about the work of the Morning Star, he uh, wrote to the Commonweal, uh, but they told him the material had just been, the article had just been supplied to them, and um, they suggested that he would write to Miss Curtain. Now, uh, Alice Curtain puts him in touch with Mr. Duff, and Mr. Duff tells us that he wrote a seven-page letter to Mr. Oliver, and Miss uh, Celia Shaw, who was one of the early members of the Legion of Mary, uh, supplemented it with a three-page letter. And uh, Mr. Oliver went to his Archbishop with this information about the work that was being done here in Dublin in the hostel, uh, but the Archbishop would not permit him to open a hostel in San Francisco at that time. Um, he wrote again to us and he said that he was 80 years old, he was very anxious to see this set up in his lifetime, 
and perhaps if we would send someone to San Francisco, uh, that person might be able to give further information to the Archbishop and win him over. And in 1933, Celia Shaw went out for a period of a few months, but by the time she reached San Francisco, the Archbishop had died. However, she described Mr. Oliver, uh, the work being done in the hospital. She explained that it was a work of the Legion of Mary, but that it was only one of their many works. Uh, he became, Mr. Oliver became uh, still more interested in the Legion of Mary, and uh, after Mr. George returned to Dublin, he wrote to Mr. Duff again and asked to, that a, a person be sent out, some member of the Legion of Mary, who would devote perhaps a couple of years to, to introducing it into that country. Uh, so in uh, 1934, uh, I was asked by Mr. Duff, would I agree to go? And um, I did. And I left Dublin in, on the 3rd of June 1934 and uh, arrived in New York six days later. And you stayed for? I, I was appointed at the outset for a period of three years, but uh, in the interval, the World War II broke out and it was not possible to get home, and I stayed for 12 years. Like other envoys, part of Mary Duffy's work was to visit people who had perhaps, for one reason or another, lapsed from the church. How did those people react to an uninvited guest? Invariably, the reaction was kindly enough. In many cases, they were very happy to be uh, contacted, okay. and uh, uh, perhaps only waiting for the word of encouragement, either to have a marriage set right, or to uh, get back themselves into practicing the faith. Is it ever difficult for a legionary to approach someone like that? We, we tend to think of the other person's reaction, but I wonder how difficult is it for the legionary, because it is quite a hard thing to well, do. Well, it is. It's never really easy. And uh, I suppose if we were, um, depending on our own effort, we just wouldn't do it at all. Uh, it's the, first of all, I think the discipline of the weekly meeting and the... Um, spiritual atmosphere at that meeting uh, that really gives courage even to the most timid to do a work that is definitely a difficult work. But the Legion of Mary is so vast today, has it perhaps become almost impersonal for this reason? I asked Monsignor Falls, who is the spiritual director of the Sonatas in Philadelphia, if he thought this had perhaps happened in America and if the Legion had lost contact with the people for this reason? No, I think the opposite, that uh, it's one organization in the church that is continuing contact with the people, and more and more, uh, as time goes on, I, I think we'll do more of this contact because we're, we are beginning to increase in numbers again. We had a period of recession, right after the Second Vatican Council, when so many thought that uh, we should downgrade Our Lady, they thought that the Council wanted us to do this, that the ecumenism should supplant, substitute for the convert apostolate. These being two features of the Legion of Mary, there was a period when we, our membership started to decline our recruiting wasn't as active as it had been, but we're on the uh, uptrend again. Another of the criticisms of the Legion of Mary is that it is old-fashioned and needs to be updated. 
as to true rigid in its discipline and that it is not ecumenical in its devotion to the Blessed Mother. Uh, these accusations or these suggestions for change, of course, are based on, on two false assumptions that the Second Vatican Council wanted us to downgrade Our Lady and that the ecumenism should supplant the convert apostolate. Because the Legion of Mary is a lay apostolate, it is sometimes said that perhaps the priests and indeed the hierarchies of different countries might possibly be against it. I put this question to Father O'Flynn, the world spiritual director of the Legion of Mary, and I asked him if perhaps priests might even be a restraining influence on the Legion of Mary. Well, uh, no, because uh, of course you have to uh, understand the, the uh, uh, primary responsibility for souls rests on the bishop of a diocese. Consequently, he is the overseer, he has the right and the duty to superintend all apostolic activity. And the reason is, you know, it's very strict on uh, obedience to bishops. That's quite clear from the handbook. We have no difficulty there, whatever. Priests and hierarchies, uh, uh, in general, to the world seem most helpful. And here in Dublin, I, while, I, while we're, we're, we're on the subject, I must say that everybody from the Archbishop down has been simply more than helpful over the years, in my experience. But in, but in the beginning, Father, um, it was said that there was a certain amount of opposition from the clergy. Well, uh, of course, you see, in the beginning, like the Legion was terribly new. It was a very new thing uh, to have lay people uh, doing sort of the work of a priest, doing visitation, uh, doing street contact work, and so on. It was previous to the uh, Legion, uh, this was confined completely to priests. And uh, naturally, uh, the uh, priests, possibly the hierarchy, were slow to accept it until it proved itself. But uh, while on that subject, I must say that uh, uh, straight away, there was tremendous support right from the start from, from many distinguished priests, from Father Tor, who was the first uh, spiritual director, uh, from Father Creedon and from Father Dennis O'Flynn, all who were men of, um, Father Dennis O'Flynn, of course, later, uh, all of whom were men of outstanding ability and who gave every uh, moment of their uh, time that they could to Legion activity. The, the Legion simply couldn't have existed without them, and um, without Father Torres and Father Creedon and uh, many other men, like Father Robinson, the deceased of Montreal Patrick, others, it uh, simply couldn't have got on without them. Mr. Duff would be uh, the very first to insist on that. And while we're on the subject, uh, I would like to say, uh, to, say to, to acknowledge how tremendously helpful the religious orders have been to us, as well as the diocesan clergy. We've got tremendous service from them over the years. It would be very wrong to, to, to uh, think that priests uh, didn't give uh, tremendous help to the What about the feeling that ecumenism is in conflict with conversion? Now, the Legion is... You mean that uh, ecumenism is in and conversion is out? <laughs> well, the, well, the Legion actually very strongly, but the Legion is involved very much with conversion. So would you say there was any conflict then with None the ecumenical If uh, ecumenism, to my mind, if ecumenism is properly understood, there's no conflict, whatever. I like to regard them as two parallel movements. That, of course, isn't strictly accurate because at a certain point they would meet, but two parallel movements, and if the decree on ecumenism and the directives are studied 
uh, that would be simply true. It would be take too long now to win to to, to uh, develop that point. But conversion, of course, must always be a mm -hmm. uh, primary work of the region justice, as it must always be a primary work of the church. You can't forget the command and go going there for teach you all nations. has its headquarters where its more detailed work is carried out and the headquarters of the Legion of Mary are in Dublin. Mr. Murray, we're standing at the moment in the room where the officers of the Concilium hold their monthly meetings. Now in front of us here is an altar. Would you tell me something about because I know that it's a fairly important altar. Yes, we regard it as a most precious relic of the past because it was the altar around which the first meeting of the Legion of Mary was held on the 7th of September 1921. Uh, the setting up of the altar was a spontaneous act on the part of one of the first legionaries, a young girl named Alice Kyo, who later entered religion and became um, one, a, a sister of the Assumption and who died in Canada on the 20th anniversary of the founding of the Legion. Mm. The altar uh, is a statue of Our Lady, the uh, Immaculate Conception model with the hands extended as in the distribution of graces, mm. flanked by two uh, vases with flowers and two candlesticks. Now, are these original, these, these, these vases? Uh, these uh, are the original um, candlesticks, the vases are glass, they're a reproduction of the originals which were destroyed in, during the early years. The um, vexillum that you see was the first model made when that was introduced. Now will you explain to me what the vexillum is? The vexillum is a, a, an emblem of the Legion of Mary. It is a metal uh, based on, uh, on a marble globe and a marble base, or an onyx globe and a marble base. The metal part has at the top a replica of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and then there is a crossbar with the words Legio Mariae. Beneath that there is a disc, a replica of the miraculous metal, which is complete front and back. And then beneath that, the globe, which is, represents the world. The symbolism being the distribution of graces to souls through Our Lady. And do you use this in all the different areas all around the world? All the different yes. In every Legion of Mary meeting, whether it is a presidium, which is the local unit, or a council meeting, uh, this emblem is always used and placed in front of the statue. Yes. There's a little bell there which is intriguing me because it's in the case with the statue and the vexillum and I'm wondering, I'm wondering what significance it has. Well, the first president believed in the use of a bell to maintain order. <laughs> so she had used, she used, Mrs. Kerwin used that bell at the meetings, but it is not a, a normal part of legion equipment. I see. Is that little statue behind also in a case, in a glass case, 
Has that any special significance? It has. That was used by Edel Quinn, whose cause has been introduced by the Archbishop of Nairobi, East Africa, for canonization when she was engaged in organizing the Legion as an envoy throughout Africa. Perhaps the most common thing said against the Legion is that it does not give material aid to those in need. Now, the explanation for this is quite simple. It derives from the origin of the Legion itself, which sprang from the St. Patrick's Conference of the St. Vincent de Paul Society, a society where the object, as everybody knows, is to give material aid. It's quite natural, then, that the Legion at the beginning would not wish to take up the same work. In fact, it came into existence through a realization of the fact that there was need for a different kind of service, a wider kind of human uplifting. And I asked Tom Doyle, who joined the Legion of Mary in 1930, and has since then been doing visitation work and hostel work in the Morning Star, if there was much change in the Morning Star since the early days. In the early days, uh, there was no such thing as social service that's given to men now. Uh, the type of man that the Morning Star catered for was not entitled to any unemployment assistance or other social benefits that men have now. Yes. They were entitled to no weekly allowance. Okay. What is the reaction of the men to you in the Morning Star generally? Do they feel that they owe you something or do they feel a little bit aggressive towards you? Well, uh, most of them, I'd say, are quite pleasant with me. Okay. Maybe kind and things like that, but men mm. be aggressive, but generally not. You're a man who has given up practically your, your whole life to the work of the Legion of Mary. Why did you do it in the beginning? Well, I suppose I just got taken with the Legion when I joined it. Realised I'd found something very good. Uh, as time went on, I realised that this is something that is a kind of life that I hadn't thought of before. How did you first hear about it in the early days? brought in by a friend. I was in the St. Vincent de Paul Society, and my president was also helping with the Legion. There were no men in the Legion at the time, yes. but we helped the Legion to do some of the Legion work. Yes, such as? Uh, the Pickening, Pickening, the Medical Mission, yes. and the Metropolitan Hall. Yes. They were two proselytizing places. Yes. Now, you said there were no men in the Legion. When you joined it, were you one of the first bunch of men? Well, a number of the Presidio when, when, when I joined the Morning Star, as it is now, yes. we weren't in the field yet of the Concilium because there was no men in the Legion. But we met around the same Legion altar and we said the Legion prayers and we followed the Legion rule. And later, when men were affiliated into the Legion, our presidium came into the Legion. What do you think of the young people today who are joining the Legion? Well, we meet some very, very good intermediates. Trouble is that we haven't enough. <laughs> Why do you think you don't have enough? Well, when you look around at the meetings, there's not enough of young people. We, use, we lose a lot of them. About uh, 18, 19, 20, they leave off coming up to the exams, and even when they start work, many of them are doing night study, and many of them won't give the time, as it was. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, there are some very, very good ones. Mm -hmm. Now, you probably don't have all that much time in your hands because when you're finished with your work in the Morning Star, you must be pretty tired. Do you ever now actively try to recruit yourself people for the Legion? Only people that I meet. 
you see, in the work. My, my whole life is taken with the Legion, you see. Mm. And therefore, everyone that I speak to has something in connection with the Legion. Yes. And I haven't the opportunity to go around from house mm. to house or meet people on the street to tell them about the Legion. Well, you said only people that I meet. So it means that when you actually meet someone, are you always thinking, well, this would be a good member, or how do I ask? Well, I realise that uh, if I want to do something for anybody, I know that I couldn't do them a better job than being with the Legion of Mary. And how do you go about explaining to them? We'd say somebody, you come across somebody in your work and they don't know very much about it, and you discover this. What do you say to them? Well, I try to tell them about, about the Legion, about what it is. What is it? Uh, <laughs> I suppose Our Lady of Work. Uh, I've always found that if I tell anybody about the Legion, that I must tell them about uh, Our Lady's connection with the Legion, that to a certain extent it's not just doing any particular kind of work, but it's not, to a certain extent, Catholic action. Uh, it's not certainly not so, uh, social work, though they may do social work in Catholic action, mm-hmm. but it's the Legion of Mary, which is different than the other organisations. Closely connected to the heart of the Legion of Mary is the true devotion of St. Louis de Montfort. To the many bonds of union that the Legion recommends to all its members, the true devotion adds just one more. And I asked Frida Coyne, who is one of the Legion of Mary's envoys to Ecuador, what the true devotion to the nation meant to her. Yes, well, we found particularly that in Ecuador, where I was envoy, working with uh, another young Legion and Bambrick, we found it very necessary to bring into play this true devotion to the nation. In other words, that we would try and uplift society, in thinking in terms of the man as a whole, both soul and body. And whilst we would dedicate ourselves to actually uh, developing social works, we would never lose sight of the fact that, again, we must try through these opportunities to develop the man spiritually as well. Well, Frida, with you, you have Anne Bambrick, and you've just come back also from Ecuador. Yes. And you're a member of Vietoris Christi. What is that exactly? Uh, Vietoris Christi is a movement that uh, grew out of the Legion of Mary Project of Peregrinati Pro Cristo. Um, it's a movement that helps lay people and prepares them for work in foreign countries. Uh, professional people or non-professional people. The spirit of any organization is difficult to grasp. To get to the real meaning of the spirit of the Legion of Mary demands a deeper effort than most of us in the whirl of daily activity are prepared to make. What is it all about? Well, it's about uh, a group of men decided to get together and start off a, a, I won't say a club, but a thing that do our ladies work for us. Mm-hmm. But she always wants, she wants to be done here. Mm-hmm. What's our ladies' work? To help people. Mm-hmm. And uh, try to uh, respect other people and help them. Mm-hmm. Do all the things that are the Legion. No, I always thought it was just praying all the time. Mm-hmm. To John and the other children who are members of this club, the Legion of Mary is perhaps a refuge in itself. What do you come here for? Yeah, physical training and uh, games. Mm-hmm. How did you first hear about the Legion? Um, 
there was uh, people going around the area in which I lived and asked me to join, so I just tried it out and got interested in that. Got interested in the club. Do you have to be a member of the Legion before you can come into the club here? No. You can just come in and... Uh, yeah. And you're somebody with me, I don't know your name. Robert. Robert, what sort of things do you do here? What sort of training. training? PT, physical training and mm. all that stuff. If you weren't in here, what would you be doing? Uh, nothing, I'm messing <laughs> around. What do you call messing around? You know, just around the street. Nothing else, you know, just backside come. What do you think of the Legion? If somebody came up to me and said that they were a member of the Legion of Mary, what would you immediately think of them? Oh, it's just an ordinary person to me, you know. Mm-hmm. They'd be same as anyone else. Do you think they're particularly good living or better than the average person? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I'd say there's more to do, you know. There's more to do than anyone else. So, uh, naturally, they're going to be better, I'd say. When you're the right age, I mean, if you are the right age yet, are you still the Legion? No, not the senior league, no. Well, when you are the right age, do you think you will be a member of the Yeah, I think so, yeah. What attracts you to it? Oh, well, uh, it's part of the club, you know, and I think I'd like to walk with the league, you know, around. Yeah. So, if you weren't here tonight, where would you be? Uh, around the street. Well, in my house now, but uh, during the night, early night, I'd be in the street. What, what age are you? Uh, Fifteen. And what would you be doing in the street? Might go off with my friends or have a game of football or something like that. Yeah. And so while you're in here, you're, you're doing PT, is it? Yeah. What did your friends, your other friends who are not in the club, what did they think of you when you said you were going to the Legion Club? Some of them might just laugh, you know, thinking it's a, a sissy boy or something. Mm-hmm. You know? Why do you think they think that? <coughs> Well, they think you're, you're praying all the time, you're on your knees all the time. And are you? No. Far from it, so sometimes you're helping in the club and you're enjoying yourself most of the time. Mm-hmm. What do your parents think of you being in the club? They think you're great. It's a mix of young kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, they keep you off the street. Mm-hmm. Out of trouble. Out of trouble? What sort of trouble would you be in? You might get into bad company. You go off mm-hmm. and do something, and get into trouble with the police. Mm-hmm. <coughs> this keeps you with them. Yeah. Do you ever go up to any of your friends who are not in the Legion and ask them to come along with you? Yeah, it's a good few times. And what do they say to you? Sometimes they uh, they come. Sometimes they just say they're going off somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you can bring anyone you like in here, can you? Well, if they're the right age. What age is that? Uh, over 12. Or 11 or 12, they have to be over 12. But uh, to join the Legion, they have to be uh, over 7. Visiting the sick is another form of apostolic help, willingly given by the Legion of Mary. I was always interested in doing apostolic work, but I didn't know how to go about it. And so I joined, and for the first three months, perhaps I did find it a little difficult, the discipline and everything. But after that, I got the idea of the Legion, and I seemed to understand the spirit of it. And now I've been in the Legion for seven years, and I must say, I love it. How would you describe to me the spirit of it? The spirit of the Legion, you know, is the spirit of Our Lady herself, you know. You know, uh, we try and copy Our Lady's virtues, and we try and see uh, her son, Christ, and everybody we visit. It's a deeply spiritual organization, you know. It's yes. The idea is to bring everybody nearer to God and to... Um, 
bring all souls to Christ all over the world. Now, you visit the Royal Hospital for Incurables. Yes, that's right, yeah. What sort of reaction do you get from people who have a very great deal of suffering anyway to deal with? And perhaps they then have some spiritual suffering as well. How do they react when you talk about the Legion to them? Or when you talk about the spirit of the Legion? Well, you know, we've made great friends with the, with these patients in the Royal Hospital. We visit them. As you know, in the Legion, we cannot give material relief. We don't bring them sweets or chocolates yes. or anything. But we just bring them our friendship and our love. And we bring it in a great measure. And we find if we're really interested in them, they become, they trust us. And they can tell us all their sorrows and their troubles. You must listen to people, you know, not talk too much. Mm-hmm. We yes. find that. And we find we can help them. And as a matter of fact, they can help us too. There's always give and take in the spiritual world, you know, I think. And we have found that we've helped them spiritually uh, to, to bear their suffering. For those in the Legion of Mary who give so much, so unselfishly, even on this earth, there seems to be a reward. Yes, well, I, re- I realize that um, the Legion has done more for me than I have done for the Legion. In what way, Miss Rose? Well, in the amount of um, knowledge I have there got, particularly the knowledge of Our Lady, because uh, we get so much about Our Lady that it gives us an extraordinary devotion to Our Lady, which I don't think I would have had if I hadn't been associated with the Legion of Mary. Mm-hmm. And it also uh, gives you a, a tremendous uh, love for uh, people who would be outcasts. Normally, I might well be like ordinary people pass them by, but it gives you a, a great sense of uh, their anxiety to do something for them. But I would say that the, the spiritual advantage gained through membership of the Legion is greater than what you have given to the Legion. On September the 5th, 1921, the harrowing stories of the loneliness and spiritual desolation of some of the patients of the South Dublin Union led naturally to the provision of a different kind of service. Today, 50 years later, these needs are greater than ever. Only today, they are not confined to the South Dublin Union. But what is it about the legionaries which gives them the strength to carry on work which at times seems so impossible? Perhaps their secret is that they are and will remain souls on fire with active love for the Mary for whom their gentle army has been called. But what does seem certain is that by them a special meaning has been given to that most unselfish response of all, be it done to me according to thy word.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.